Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. We started last week a message called The Power of Perspective and we're halfway through. There's one more week to be able to go, but I started preaching last week on the power of perspective. How many people know that your perspective says a great deal more about you than necessarily even what's going on around about you. Your perspective is incredibly important. There's a young girl who went away to university, had to move away from home to be able to do so and went for the first semester of university and while she was there, didn't really have much time to talk to her parents. She was enjoying university life. Well, the end of the semester, her parents receive a letter from their daughter and they're so excited to be able to, to, to read it because they haven't heard much from her in this first semester that she's been away for uni. And so the dad sort of opens the letter and reads it aloud for, for mum to be able to hear as well. And in the letter, the daughter says, mum and dad, I hope you haven't been worried about me, um, but I've been really enjoying university life. In fact, I've been enjoying university life a little more than my studies. And so last month, I decided to drop out of uni. I've been spending a lot of time with an older guy. I don't want you to worry, he's a bit older, but he's off heroin. He's been clean now for three weeks, which I'm really grateful for because I just found out I'm pregnant with his baby. P.S. None of the above is true, but I did fail my history exam. (laughs) How many people know that's a smart girl? Just helping mum and dad just to have a little perspective. The first time in parental history, the mum and dad are like, thank goodness she's failed university. Right? The power of perspective. That what you see says a great deal more about you than necessarily even what's going on around you. That Oswald Sanders said um, that, that, that eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. Eyes that look are common, eyes that see are rare. You know, in the whole Old Testament, we see a number of miracles that happen in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see food multiplied. That's a miracle that happens in the Old Testament. Uh, In the Old Testament, we see lepers healed. In the Old Testament, we see the raising of the dead on multiple occasions. But you know, in the entire Old Testament, the one miracle you don't see is blind eyes being opened. Only in the New Testament do you ever read of anyone's having their eyes opened. In the entire Old Testament, there are many miracles, but never sight being restored to those that are blind. That doesn't happen until Jesus. And I wonder if part of the reason is because Jesus didn't just come to heal physical blindness, but something far more significant than that, spiritual blindness. Helen Keller was asked what would be worse than being born blind. She said what would be worse than being born blind would be to be able to have sight, but no vision. Helen Keller herself was blind from 18 months old. To be able to have sight, but no vision. And so I want to continue this morning talking about the power of perspective. That's more than just having a positive perspective. I want to challenge us, stir us, right? Convince us not just to have a positive perspective, but to have a prophetic perspective. You know, in the Old Testament, the prophets were given a special name. They were called seers. Notice they weren't called lookers. They were called seers. Because any person can have a look. But, but it takes a prophetic edge to begin to see. Not what is, but begin to see from God's point of view. Yeah. To begin to see what God can see. Not to see what is, but to begin to see the possibilities. To begin to see the opportunities. To begin to see from God's vantage point. And so in the Old Testament, the prophets weren't called lookers. They were called seers. 
And I want to encourage you in your life, in your marriage, with your children, in your career, don't just have a look. Begin to see with a prophetic perspective what God is doing. Don't just look at your life. Don't just look at your spouse. Don't just look at your kids. Begin to see them the way that God does. And so last week we looked at 2 Kings chapter 6 where Elisha, his servant wakes up in the morning and he sees an army amassed around about them. And when he looks outside the window and he sees the army around there, he begins to freak out. And he goes to Elisha, he says, Elisha, like, we should run, like, we should get out of here, like, this, this is terrible. He goes and has a look, and all he can see is the danger that's right in front of him. And Elisha's response is so interesting. Elisha puts his hand on the boy's shoulder, and he says to him, don't be afraid. And then he prays, and he says, God, I pray that you would help him to be able to see. Verse 17, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw And this time when he opens his eyes, he sees, yes, there's an army in front of them, but there's also the host of heaven surrounding them. If he'd just looked, he would have made a terrible mistake. He would have begun to run away. But but when he began to see, not just look, but begin to see, he realized, no, no, God is with us. We're not going to run. We're going to stay exactly where we are. Stephen Covey said, we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. So I want to speak to us this morning on how to keep a right perspective in challenging times. How do you keep a right perspective in challenging times? Matthew chapter 14 and verse 24. The scripture will be on the screen behind me. This is what the Bible says. Matthew 14 verse 24. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because of the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. How to keep a right perspective in challenging times. That's more than having a a. Um, positive perspective how do you keep a prophetic perspective in challenging times the truth is you've got to let your perspective be filtered don't you that when you filter something if you took a piece of yellow cellophane and you put light through it and 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 on the other side of that cellophane the only thing that goes through the filter is the yellow light that's why when you put on lenses with a particular color on them everything looks to be in that color because the filter only allows certain things through And so a yellow filter only allows yellow light through. A red filter only allows red light through. And so if you and I are going to have a prophetic perspective in challenging times, we've got to begin to filter our perspective through a few things. Here's the first thing. You've got to let your perspective be filtered by the Word of God. You've got to let your perspective be filtered by the Word of God. The Word of God shouldn't be our last resort. It ought to be our first response. 
You've got to let your perspective be filtered by the Word of God. Here's what Psalm 19 verse 8 says. It says, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. If you're lacking joy in your life, can I tell you, one of the ways to find joy is to find yourself in God's Word because it'll help you to have a better perspective than Sky News will let you have. Right? right. right? Your precept, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. That the entrance of God's Word brings light into a person's life. If you're going to live with a prophetic perspective in challenging times, then you're going to need to filter your perspective through the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. You read down a few more verses in, in, in verse 130. It says, The unfolding of your Word or the entrance of your Word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. But when life is looking complicated and you're not quite sure how to be able to navigate, you need the Word of God to filter your perspective because it'll help to bring light where there's darkness. It'll help to bring order where there's chaos. It'll help to make things simple when they're looking really difficult if you'll just allow the Word of God to begin to filter your perspective. Someone once said that when the stars are quenched in heaven, tie a lamp to the mast and navigate by that. If any of you have ever sailed, you know that's the craziest idea in the world, that, that when you can't see the stars to which by navigate, that then to take a lamp and say, well, we'll make our own stars. We'll tie those to the mast and we'll navigate by the lamp that's on the top of the, of the mast. That's a crazy way to be able to live. And yet, as crazy as that sounds, that's the way that some people live. That, that when they can't see which way to go and they don't know what God's perspective is and they haven't even consulted the Word of God, that they just kind of make it up as they go. Just kind of put a lamp on the mast and kind of navigate their way by that. And they're trying to steer and to navigate by things that aren't solid. They're trying to navigate by things that are constantly shifting and constantly moving. Can I tell you that as a church, one of the things that we will always be strong on is when it comes to the importance of God's Word. That we are a faith with a book. We're not trying to get rid of it. And I'm not as old as some of you, but I know this. Not you nor I have had our brains activated long enough to actually understand all of God's wisdom. That's why we need God's Word. That's why we need to allow our perspective to be filtered by the Word of God. I'm amazed at how many people filter their perspective through their feelings. That's a crazy way to live. And I'm not talking about teenagers. I'm talking about those teenagers that grow up and become middle-aged and they get a bit older as well. Being a little bit... Careful about how far I describe that. <laughs> it's amazing to me how many people are led by their feelings. There is nothing wrong with your emotions. That's a faculty given to you by God. But if you allow your life to be navigated by your feelings, that's like tying a lamp to a mast and hoping for the best. Because I've learned that my emotions, my feelings, are not a stable ground with which to make decisions. Come on, you've watched movies too, right? That in the course of one hour, you, you can be laughing and the next minute you're crying. The next minute you're sure that the butler has killed the, the, the lead actor only to find out it wasn't the butler, that was just a plot twist, right? They put a bit of music behind and a soundtrack and all of a sudden you start feeling things. If you're, if you're navigating your life by your feelings, that's a really dangerous way to live. Yeah. It, it's amazing how many people navigate their life not just by feelings but by popular opinion or by the opinion of their friends. Again, I'm not talking about teenagers. I can think of friends even in our own life over the last number of years 
but where, where even as they've gone through the, the throes of divorce, you sit down and you say, who's speaking into this? Like, who's helping you make these decisions? These seem like really, who's helping you do that? And you realize that the reason why you've left now for three times is because you've been getting advice from your single and divorced friends. That's not a comment on divorce. What it is a comment on is, is who do you let speak into your life? Because there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, but, but you've got to choose those people very specifically, right? And so it's amazing how many people navigate their life by feelings or by what's a popular opinion or, or allow their life to be navigated by fear. Come on, 99% of the decisions you make out of fear, you end up regretting. Isn't that true? Right, 99% of the, of the decisions you make out of fear or you make in a rush, you end up regretting those sorts of things. And so you've got to allow your perspective to be filtered by the Word of God. Because in challenging times and in difficult times, the one thing that's true, right, which the sailors can navigate by night, the one thing that's not moving out on that open ocean is the stars in the sky. You've got to allow your perspective to be filtered by the Word of God. There's a factory worker that used to walk past on his way to work past a, a watchmaker's store. And in the window of the watchmaker's store was this beautiful big old grandfather clock. Well, every morning the watchmaker would stand behind his counter and he'd see the, the factory worker walk past, stand at the front of the, of the store looking at the grandfather clock and then adjust his wristwatch, it looked like, to be in time with the grandfather clock. But, well, one morning the, the watchmaker sort of raced out to meet the factory worker and said, I, I, I've got to ask, I see you do this every morning. You, you come past and you look at the clock and you adjust your wristwatch. I, I've got to ask, what, what do you do? And uh, a bit embarrassed, the factory worker said, well, actually, I'm the manager of the, of the factory, and, uh, and it's my responsibility to be able to ring the, the, clock at, uh, to ring the bell at 4 o'clock in the afternoon to let everyone know it's time to knock off. And, and this wristwatch doesn't keep time real well, and so every morning I come past and I adjust it so that it's in time with your grandfather clock in the window. But, well, the watchmaker gasped and said, oh, that's terrible. He said, why? He said, well, because the, the grandfather clock in the window doesn't work real good either, and Every afternoon, I adjust it so it's in time with the bell at the factory at 4 p.m. <laughs> How many people know that when one wrong clock corrects another wrong clock, they just get wronger yeah. and wronger <laughs> and wronger? <laughs> Here's the truth. You don't need a change in your circumstances. You need a word from God. You don't need a change in your circumstances. You need a word from God. How do you keep your perspective in challenging times? You allow your perspective to be filtered by the word of God. Here's the second thing. You've got to allow your perspective to be filtered by the word of God, but you've also got to allow your perspective to be filtered by the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 25 verse 15 says, My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. My eyes are ever on the Lord. I have to lift my eyes and look for God in the situation, right? Because when you find yourself in difficult times, you'll find that there's a lot of things vying for your attention. There are a lot of things screaming with amplified sound, but you've got to begin to listen and look for God. 
right? In the middle of challenging times, if you're going to have a prophetic perspective, you're going to need to filter your perspective through the salvation of the Lord. It's God who's the lifter of my eyes. It's God who's my rock and my refuge. It's God who's my hope and my salvation. And so there might be a whole lot of things vying for my attention, but but I'm going to try and fix my eyes on Jesus because I'm looking for where's God in this? I know there's a lot of things that are happening around about me, but but God, I know that you're faithful. I know that you're my rock and refuge. God, I know that you're my great hope. So I know there's a lot of things happening here, but but God, I'm looking for you in this because I'm looking for the salvation of the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it, that when, when Jesus comes walking to the disciples on the water in the midst of the wind and the waves, that 11 disciples see a ghost. One disciple sees a savior. 11 disciples see a ghost. Why? Because they're fishermen. And fishermen have stories, don't they, Dave Larkin? When you're out there on the passage and it's late at night, there's mermaids and things that come out of the water and there's ghosts and sea dragons and there's all kinds of things that happen when you're out on the water late at night and you can't find your way. And so uh, 11 disciples are looking for the worst and have a guess what? They found it. Because Jesus comes walking to them on the water and they're like, I knew it! There's ghosts out here and I bet you there's a sea dragon here as well and there's a whole lot... Eleven disciples can see a ghost. One disciple can see the Savior. Why? Maybe the reason, I'm being a bit facetious, but maybe the reason is is because Peter remembered it was Jesus who told us to go. It was Jesus who told us. You read the whole story. Jesus tells him to get into the boat and to go to the other side while he dismisses the crowd. And he goes to pray and then he comes to them. And so maybe Peter was the only one there thinking, well, hold on, hold on. I know we're in the middle of a storm, but it was Jesus who asked us to get into this boat. And it was Jesus who asked us to go to the other side. And why would Jesus ask us to do all of those things only to see us drown in the middle of the sea? While 11 disciples are looking for a ghost, there's one guy who's actually looking for the Savior. Why? Because you've got to allow your perspective to be filtered by the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Come on, is this making sense to us this morning? That when you find yourself in difficult or challenging times, that I've got to lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It doesn't come from down here. It doesn't come from in here. My help, it comes from the Lord. One of the reasons why I raise my hands is to remind myself that, God, there's a whole lot of things that want my attention. But, Lord, I am focusing my attention on you. It is you who is the lifter of my eyes. And I will lift my eyes and see the goodness of God. Right? Who, who, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I want to ask you this morning... What are you looking for in your circumstances? What are you looking for in your circumstances? You've got to allow your perspective to be filtered by the Word of God. You've got to allow your perspective to be filtered by the salvation of the Lord. Here's the third thing. You've got to allow your perspective to be filtered by faith-filled people. Eleven disciples scream ghost. But Peter is willing to see something different. Psalm 101 verse 6 says, My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. The ones whose walk is blameless will minister to me. If you're ever going to have a prophetic perspective in challenging times, then one of the things you've got to do is you've got to surround yourself with faith-filled people. Right? 
You know, sometimes we talk about people being faithful. Oh, that person's faithful. And what we mean is they've been doing it for a long time. That's not what faithful means. Faithful means to be full of faith. They've been doing it for a long time, but they've been complaining about it the entire time. This is not a comment on anything. There's just faith-filled people, right? And not people who do things for a long time. They're people who do things with faith for a length of time, right? Faith-filled people. Do you know Comsec has a gloom gauge? You know Comsec, when they sort of cross over to Comsec, they've got it there, and they Comsec has a gloom gauge. The gloom gauge for Comsec is actually a survey of 12 major papers in Australia that monitors how many times in newspapers the word recession, inflation, or interest rates are mentioned. Comsec is measuring the gloom gauge of Australia based off what's reported in our news. Some people don't need Comsec to do that. They've got their own gloom gauge. They've adjusted it in. It's dialed in. They can tell you everything that's about to go wrong. But come on, if you're going to have a prophetic perspective in yeah. challenging times, yeah. you don't need a gloom gauge. You need to get around some people who will lift your faith, yeah. who will help you begin to see God in the middle yeah. of this situation, Sorry. who will begin to, begin to relate back to, I know there's a whole lot of things vying for your attention, but what does the Word of God say about this? What does Peter say? He says, Lord, if it's you, then call me out onto the water. Why? Because Peter can't wait to get away from these nagging other disciples who are convinced that their life is over and they're all going to die. He's looking for any opportunity to get out of that boat. There's a ghost. Jesus, I don't care. I just need to get away from these guys because they're speaking doom and gloom. I need to find some hope in my life, right? And so create some distance. Find some people who inspire faith in your heart. Find some people who focus your attention again on the Word of God. Find people who, as they give you advice and perspective, begin to say, well, where, where's God in this? Can we begin to see God in this? I'm so grateful for people in this church with a bit of a prophetic insight who can just begin to see what God can see. That's so incredibly important. Because how do you keep a faith-filled perspective in challenging times? You've got to surround yourself with faith-filled people. Here's the fourth one. You've got to let your perspective be filtered by the Word of God by the salvation of the Lord, by faith-filled people. Here, I love this one. You've got to allow your perspective to be filtered by where you're going. One of the things I'm so grateful for is this unerring sense of direction that God's given me. It's one of the things that I've probably, it's one of the things I've actually probably prized in my life more than anything else is to have an unwavering perspective on where it is I'm going I've always had that interestingly some of you know that we were pastoring a church and then had a period of time 18 months with both long service leave and doing some other things for work still with the desire to be able to lead a church in the future but but in a time in between before we said yes to coming and being the pastors of MCC 10 months ago and and as we went to some of the pastors and leaders in our life one of the things that was prophesied over us, I actually I held quite tightly onto because for most, for most of my life, I've always had this very clear direction. This is where I'm going. This is what's happening. And I've been able to see. And as we stepped out of pastoring one church and into the hallway between two yeses, right? Some of you know what this is like. When you step into the hallway between two things, it was the first time where I, I couldn't see further than my next step. That's never happened to me before. I can never remember another time in my life where that was true. 
But, but in that period between those two yeses, there was a period where it was like, I can see my next step, but I can't see any further than that. Well, well as, as this church and this opportunity and, and God in the most spectacular fashion threw a lady in a church in Ipswich with a bit of paper and dug in the middle of New Zealand saying, this is, the, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. In the middle of all of that, an older gentleman in his 70s prophesied over Lisa and I and he said, it's like you've been in a fog. And as you say, yes, it's like the fog is going to lift and you're going to be able to see further than you've ever seen before. Do you know the first service I walked into MCC, it was the day after Mother's Day. There's 62 people in the service. And to be honest, there wasn't much to look at. Come on, some of you were there. The youth band played something. Doug kept on apologizing. He's like, this is a small day, but... This is kind of what it is. You know, the minute I walked in, I could see. Wow. I wasn't looking. I was seeing. It was like what that person had said as a prophetic word to us, that it's like your eye, you'll be able to see further than you've ever seen before. When I walked in and saw our church for the first time, there wasn't a lot to look at, but man, there was a lot to be able to see. You've got to allow your perspective to be filtered by where you're going. You've got to have an unwavering commitment to walk that road. Notice that when Peter steps out of the boat and he begins walking on the water, while he is focused on Jesus, he can see. While he's focused on Jesus, he's on top of the water. But the minute he starts to look around, right, th- then he starts to sink. He starts to notice the wind and the waves, and he's thinking, is there, like, how deep is this water? Like, is there like a shallow reef somewhere around here that I could like, go and find refuge in? And, Once he begins to take his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink. That's so important. If you're going to have a faith-filled, God-honoring, prophetic perspective in challenging times, then you've got to keep your eyes focused on where you're going. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. Come on, some of you know this scripture well. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your your gaze directly before you. Don't you love that? Come on, if you're going to keep a positive, faith-filled perspective in challenging times, then one of the things you've got to do is like blinkers. Say, do you know what? I'm not going to look to the left or to the right. There's a lot of things that want my attention. But God, I know that you've called me. God, I know this is the path you've placed me on. God, I'm choosing to look where I'm going. And so I'm going to let my eyes look straight ahead, fixing your gaze directly before you. You The Bible says that Jesus set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. Why? Because he knew what God had called him to do. And so he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. And when the disciples said, hey, should we go for like a little holiday over here? And some other people came and said, hey, hey, Jesus, I'm like, like some of the miracles and stuff you do, like I think that would be like, we could take this show on the road. Like we could go through the rest of Greece and, and we, we could do that. Jesus, no, 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 he wasn't being distracted. He set his face like flint towards Jerusalem because he knew why he was there. He knew what his purpose was. He knew what God had called him to do. But when, when Elijah comes and visits Elisha, what does Elisha do? He burns the plows and he follows with Elisha. Why? Because he's getting rid of plan B. There's no plan B here. I am focusing my life, not on keeping a foot in both camps. No, no, no. I'm focusing my life. God, this is where you've called me. God, this is where you've placed me. This is where you've positioned me. And so I'm going to trust that you've done that on purpose. I'm going to set my eyes like flint towards the direction that you've put me on. What did Jesus say to you? What did, 
What did God tell you to do? What did God ask you to do? What's God calling you to do? What's the direction and the path that God has set your feet on? Because don't look to the left or to the right. Begin to focus your attention on where God is taking you. You know, when the Bible introduces us to Abraham in Genesis chapter 11, it doesn't introduce us directly to Abraham. It, it introduces us actually to his father. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 31, the Bible says, Terah, who's Abraham or Abram's father, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, the promised land. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. The implication of the scripture is actually that they got called to go from Ur of the Chaldeans to the promised land of Canaan. Actually, it ended up being taken up by Abraham, but it may very well have been a call that God had given to his father Terah. But Terah comes halfway. Literally, if you look at it on a map, between Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan, you go up, right in the middle, halfway is Haran. And when Terah gets there with his family, he gets to the land of Haran and he can't bring himself to go any further. And so he lives 205 years in Haran and he dies. Terah settles for a lifetime at a pit stop on the journey. It's interesting that the place where he settles is actually named after the son who he has has died. His son who's died, Lot's dad, is Haran. The place where he settles is Haran. It's almost like the land was so filled with memories for Terah that he couldn't bring himself to leave. And so whether because of past hurt or whether because of his own grief or, or whether because the land was filled with so many memories, he couldn't bring himself to, to ever venture any further forward than, than, than that place, he ends up settling for a lifetime in a place God only ever intended to be a couple of nights stay. And that's sad for Terah because then it falls to Abraham to have to continue a journey that very, way, very well may have been for his father to take. But you and I can do the same thing whether through hurt or whether through offense or, or, or whether through a desire just for comfort because we don't want to take a step out, we just want to stay where things are easy and comfortable, we can settle for a lifetime in a place God only intended to be a short stay. So you've got to keep your eyes fixed on where you're going. Don't allow past hurts and offenses or even grief to keep you settled in a place that God is calling you forward from. Here's the, here's the last one. I was going to say I've got 27 of these, but you know that's not true. This is the last one. It's number five. If you're going to allow God to give you a prophetic perspective in challenging times, you're going to let your perspective be filtered by the word of God, by the salvation of the Lord, by faith-filled people, by where you're going. And here's the last one, by eternal things. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. See, the boat that the disciples were in, that was temporal. That would pass away. But Jesus, he's eternal. Eleven disciples are clinging to something that's temporal, hoping that it will save them. One disciple is stepping out, pursuing the eternal, knowing that he's their only source of real salvation. Eleven disciples are clinging on to what they own. Because that boat had been in their family, right? And it's probably worth a little bit of money and... And maybe not worth a lot of money, but it's worth some money and it's got some value to them. And, it's got some... and so they're holding on to what they know. Peter's the only one re- willing to risk what he knows to go after the one he doesn't yet quite know. 
It's interesting that when Peter and Jesus get back into the boat, what do the disciples do? They begin to worship. Because it's like this moment where they realize again, the wind and the waves stop and they're like, hold on. This really is the Son of God. And they worship. They weren't doing that before. They were only doing that after. Why? Because one of them was willing to go after things that are eternal, while the rest of them were willing to hold on to the things that are temporal. Come on, if you're going to allow your perspective to be a prophetic perspective in challenging times, then you've got to begin to do that. You've got to begin to go after the things that are eternal. C.T. Studd, who was a great English cricket player and also an incredible missionary. One of his famous phrases, one of the things he used to say, one of the things that I've tried to live my life by is this, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You and I could give our lives to a lot of different things, but not many of them have eternal significance. And, and so why, why do we do what we do? Because there's only one life that God gives us. This is not a dress rehearsal. We're not playing games. We're not pretending to be a church, right? We're not pretending to be Christians. We've got one life to be able to live. And so I want to use every ounce of my energy and effort to be able to shape my life towards eternal things. That, that, that if for our family, if we could live our lives in such a way that the church of Jesus is stronger 100 years from now, that that heaven is populated, that there are more people in heaven as a result of what you and I do together in this season of our lives, yeah, that, yeah. That, then that's enough reward for me. Because you've got to allow your perspective to be filtered by eternal things. The worship team's about to come back. I want to encourage you, this is not about us having a positive perspective and I'm being deliberate about this for this reason. Because I want to lead a church of people who can hear from God. One of the things I'm so grateful for for our eldership board, for Noel and also for Melissa and for Shirley and for Tina and for myself, one of the things I'm so grateful for is that we've got an eldership board of people who can hear from God. One of the things I shared with our our team when we had our first meeting in December last year is that there's skills and there's abilities and things in this team. But one of the things we've got to have is we've got to have a sense of God's leading as we take the church forward and are the custodians of the vision God's given us. This is not about us having a positive perspective. This is about us having a prophetic one. I want to encourage you. Some of you are prophetic. You need to dust off that gift. That's not for a select few. That's for every person. Be able to hear the voice of God. Begin to spend time in God's word. That doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't happen with a two-minute prayer in the shower. Doesn't happen listening to a podcast. That happens spending time in God's presence and time in God's word to begin to see what God can see. To say, Lord, lift my eyes. Help me not to look. God, help me to be able to see. There's this moment in the Old Testament. I'll share on this a little bit more next week. There's this moment in the Old Testament where Joshua and some of the leaders, they come to Moses and they say, hey Moses, there's these couple of no-name guys, they're prophesying. And they're coming to Moses and say, Moses, like you're the leader. Like, like you should be the one prophesying. Like, like you need to give us permission, we'll, we'll shut this down. And Moses' response is so interesting. Moses says to him, he says, are you jealous for my sake? Oh, I wish that all God's people would prophesy. Why? Because Moses realizes Man, if everyone could see what God's up to, how much easier would my life get? 
Come on, it's not enough for me to have vision. Come on, you got to have vision too. Come on, I want you to begin to see what God's up to. I want you to begin to see. Don't just look at your life, see it. Don't just look at your kids, see them. Come on, don't just look at this church, see it. I want you to begin to see. You know, in retail, the worst thing you can hear is when someone says, oh, I'm just looking. If you've worked retail, that's the last thing you want to hear. Oh, just looking. It's terrible in retail. It's atrocious in the church. If you're coming to MCC to have a look, please don't do that. Don't look at this church. See it. Come on, on, I want some people who can begin to see what God is up to. Begin to not just look, but begin to see with a prophetic perspective what God is doing, what this could be. We're talking to the kids leaders this week. So grateful for our kids team. Just how much has changed in our kids' ministry from the Sunday school we had a number of months ago to what is becoming a kids' ministry with all of its faculty. It's quite exciting to watch. And there's a number of great people involved in that, but I was sharing with our kids' team that that actually our job is not simply to teach kids the Bible. It's not even just to make sure they have a good time. Those things are important. Our job is to be like Samuel, to be able to see the king in the kid. In a world where everybody wants to be King David, there's no David unless there's Samuel. Because when Samuel comes, he sees all of Jesse's boys. And here's the truth, right? Even for Samuel, when he sees David, he can't see it either. He says, well, God, like, surely this guy's got to be the anointed one to be the next king. God says, no, no, not that one. Surely this guy. God has to remind him, doesn't he? Come on, you look at the outward appearance. You're just trying to have a look. I want you to see God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the intents and the contents of our heart. God isn't looking, he's seeing. So he says to Samuel, come on, come on, don't look at the outward appearance. I want you to see what I can see. Well, David comes. And even when the prophet doesn't know which one to anoint, he lifts the horn of oil. Even when he doesn't know, the anointing begins to flow on David. He's still a kid. But, but if you close your eyes and begin to see what God can see, you don't see a kid, you can see a king. That's what our kids' leaders are doing. They're not entertaining children in the rooms beside us. They are calling out the kings that are sitting in kids. And right now, some of those kids look like rat bags. You know those rat bag ones? They're Cooper prodigies. They'll end up being youth pastors. You just know it's going to happen. The ones that are really, really loud, like my son who runs up and down the hallways here, and you're like, God has blessed him with lungs. Why is God blessed him with those lungs? Probably because he's going to lead you all in worship in a few years' time. That's why. Don't just look, begin to see. Come on, on, that's true for our kids' leaders. That's true for all of us, isn't it? If we would be like Samuel and begin to see, not just to look, but begin to be able to see. I want to show you something, right? I'm grateful. I was mentioning this before. I'm grateful for our eldership board because it's got people there who can begin to see what God is doing. We've got a small youth group we've started. We've got 20 kids in that youth group. Do you know, I was so encouraged last night, but just... In all of it, two leaders, two senior high school students who just changed the dynamic last night. But we're starting a small youth group. I love our eldership for this reason. Lots of churches would think, well, once we've got a youth group, then we'll get a youth pastor. But but that's not the decision we've made. We need to get a youth pastor because we're believing to see a youth group established. We're beginning to see, we're beginning to invest even before you can look and see it on the surface. Yeah. Can I show you a photo? It's not up there yet, but I want to show you a photo. 
It's my favorite photo from the whole Easter weekend. I'm really grateful for Jess taking photos. It's like the first time we've had really good photos for a little while, and it's awesome. But I saw this photo, and I sent this photo to this young man's dad. I want you to see this. This is from Good Friday. This is the end of the communion service, and this is Sam McClymouth, who's sitting in the front row here this morning, who's on his knees worshiping God. Do you know what tells me that the future of this church is bright? That photo. Because if you, if you do more than just look, if you begin to see, if you begin to see what God's doing, that even now it begins to spring forth. Even now it begins to shoot. You, get, you begin to see what God can see. I, I was talking to somebody recently who's come along to our church, and there's been lots of people. It's been quite a joy to meet so many people who are coming along to church for the first time at least to MCC for the first time. And, uh, and they said, we really love the church. So what do you love about it? I was kind of interested. Find out what's working. So we really love how small it is. I had to refrain from smiling. <laughs> Thought, please don't love our church for that reason. Because this is the smallest this church is ever going to be. Yeah, right, right. Now make no mistake, this will always be a friendly church. Yeah. The pastors will always be personable. That will never change. I'm strong about that. But we're not believing for this to be a small church. Because if we were believing for this to be a small church, we would have to be the most selfish people on the Sunshine Coast. There's 55,000 people that live in our postcode. Right? There's 360,000 people that live on the Sunshine Coast. And if we were believing just to have a holy huddle of people that we liked, that would have to make us the most selfish people on the earth. We don't want a large, church to, a large church to stroke any person's ego. We want a large church because there are people who don't know that there's a God who loves them. That there's a God in heaven who gave his only son for them to receive eternal life. If we were to keep that to ourselves, what would that say about us? We're not planning on keeping that to ourselves. We're planning on telling every single person. Now, now hear me, hear me. Hear me. That doesn't mean that we're going to become like the experience you had in a church that was bigger than this. Right. That doesn't mean that. I want you to hear that. In terms of being a church that's friendly, that's got to flow through the DNA of who we are. Yeah. And, being, and being a team and pastors and people who are approachable, that cannot change. Yeah. Regardless, that, but that's not about the size of the church. That's about the spirit of the leaders. Yeah, right, right. right? But why would we keep this to ourselves? Yeah. How could we walk past people and say, oh, I'm actually happy for them to go to hell? Wow. That was maybe a bit too strong. <laughs> Elisa's going to talk to me about that afterwards. <laughs> I had to laugh because, because that's what you love about this church. That, that's the one part that's not staying. The personable part, true. Friendly, true. But we, this is the smallest this church is ever going to be. By contrast, there's another gentleman who's in our church. And uh, I won't embarrass him, but... When the building was still in construction phase, before we'd ever held the service here, he did one of the Noel Williams famous tours. If you never got a Noel Williams famous tour, you should try and book one of those in. It's not as effective now, but... He's an older guy in our church. And he walked through with a friend. He didn't say much. He just sort of shuffled along. Kind of gives you an indication of his age. That wasn't to be rude. I love this guy. He sort of shuffled through, didn't say much. Came to the auditorium and he looked at Noel and he looked at the basketball court and he looked back at the auditorium as I understand it. 
He said, why'd you build it so small? It will fill up too quick. At that stage, our church was about 70 people meeting in a school hall. What was that? That was a gentleman who wasn't looking. That was someone who was beginning to see. Why would God establish something like this in this community? Because there is a community who needs to know that there is a God who loves them. Why would God put this crazy group of ragtag people together? Because God has a plan for you and I to do something significant together. I'll finish with this and then we're done for today. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that it's at work within us. This is not by our might or by our strength. This is not about us trying to have a positive perspective or retraining our brain. No, no, this is about God being able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think or imagine if we would just begin to lift our eyes and see what God can see. Not by our might and not by our strength, but by what? By His power. That God gets all the glory. It's by His power. So I want to encourage you today to lift your eyes. Not just to look, but to see. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I'd love to pray with you. Lord, I thank you this morning for every single person who's in this room. God, greatly loved by you. And Holy Spirit, I ask today that, Lord, you would be at work in our hearts, in our lives, encouraging, conjoling, convicting us. Lord, that you would lift our eyes, be the lifter of our heads, that, God, we wouldn't just look, but, God, we would begin to see with a prophetic perspective. Holy Spirit, I ask even right now, God, you begin to put dreams and visions into people's hearts. God, ideas, even though they're small, that God, you begin to sow those into people's lives. Lord, I pray today that as we leave, God, we wouldn't just see our, we wouldn't just look at our spouse. God, we begin to see our spouse. Lord, the gifts and talents you put on their lives. God, how can we encourage those things? Lord, in our children, Lord, I pray we wouldn't just look at our kids and, and what's not working or them getting into mischief. Or, but God, we begin to see with a prophetic eye, Lord, the gifts and talents you put in their life, the great opportunities you have in store for them. Lord, the destiny that's on their life. God, I pray let that be so. And God, for our church, Holy Spirit, I'm asking right now that a prophetic edge, God, would be released in this church. That God, it wouldn't just be the leaders who could see, but God, every person would begin to see, God, what it is that you're doing. That God, each one of us would begin to look at these teenagers, even like Sam, on his knees worshiping on Good Friday and begin to see, Lord, what it is you're up to in our midst. God, help us to have a prophetic perspective, even in challenging times. In Jesus' name. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment, I'm going to pray just one more time. But if you're here this morning, and even as I'm sharing, you're feeling the Holy Spirit just beginning to stir your heart. Maybe there's something in particular. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not even going to ask you to come out the front. But something in particular where you've been looking at something. You've been looking, but God's calling you not just to look, but to begin to see. Whatever that thing is, you feel God stirring your heart. Maybe it's a situation Maybe it's a decision that you're trying to make. You're looking for direction on it. Just right where you are, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you. You say that to me. I feel God stirring my heart. I need to begin to see what he can see. I'm not looking at this the right way. I need to see it from God's point of view. Holy Spirit, I ask right now for every single hand that's raised, Lord, in this room, that God, you would begin to help 
each one see. God, where there's clarity required, where there's a decision to be made. God, where there's something happening that feels like it's out of their control. Lord, that they would begin to look and see you in the midst of this situation. That their eyes would be fixed not on the problem, but on the salvation of the Lord. God, I pray, begin to stir up that prophetic gift in the lives of these that have lifted their hands. The God, that they begin to see and begin to prophesy and begin to declare that they will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. That their eyes are fixed. That they're not looking to the left or to the right but they've got their eyes firmly fixed on you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of their faith. Lord, I pray in the most dynamic way that you would show yourself strong and faithful. God, that this even as you begin to download that vision into their own hearts, God, they begin to see what you can see. Lord, I pray that you give them insight that, God, you would cause them to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves, God, as they take those next steps, that, God, they would do so with that word of knowledge. They'd do so with that prophetic insight. God, dust those gifts off in the lives of your people. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you for it. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.